I agree with the pastor. This has been a great morning, hasn't it? Wow. I uh, heard all those missionaries. I was standing over there, shook a few people's hands. I turned around. The place was invaded by children. I thought, where in the world did they all come from? And man, weren't they a blessing today. But it's great to be with you. My wife sends her greetings uh, from Delray Beach, Florida. She can't be with us today. Uh, she and I have been married now 55 years. 55 years. That's a lot of years. And you wonder now how old I am. Uh, I was five when I got married. She was four. So now you know. But uh, thank you so much for having us. And uh, uh, Rick Ramsey's been a great blessing to me uh, with uh, what he's doing in the ministry. And these testimonies up here were just wonderful. Uh, we could go home right now, but don't because I got to preach, all right? So we don't want to go home yet. Uh, pastor, thank you for having me. Where is the pastor? Right here. You know, he and I met yesterday morning. He's a brave man asking me to come. Never have known me before. I spoke at your church years ago, but it wasn't here. I mean, maybe it was here, but it's all different. And, and the place is beautiful, what you've done here. I want to commend you for what you've done here. It's a beautiful place. And uh, thank you so much uh, for all that you do. And isn't it amazing you have five missionaries out of your church? Boy, most churches would love to have one or two. You have five and 40 missionaries in all. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Our ministry, I, I was a college president last uh, uh, for 11 years. I was a pastor of two churches for 40 years. And uh, I came to a place in my life where my wife and I talked a lot about it. And we really felt there was something that God had for our lives that we had not done yet. And so we began a foundation and a ministry foundation. And we have radio now and television in it. We, we do a lot of things with uh, online social media, with uh, posts and live streams. We're on several days every week. We just signed on for radio, online radio, which now will go to the entire English-speaking world. It's an amazing thing. And we are so thankful. There is a Roku uh, television has called us and asked us if we would uh, consider taking a channel of theirs. And we're starting at online college and uh, taking this channel and putting our online college in that. And then somebody said they're going to underwrite that for us. So we have a lot going on. And I am thankful to God for what he does. And so all of this is happening. And we're thankful. We praise the Lord for it. And it's all about the kingdom, my friend. It's all about the kingdom. God is, God is calling a people out unto himself. And so I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Romans chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I want to just see that uh, what we do with the people that we support, the people in Myanmar, uh, the people that uh, Rick mentioned to you earlier, the people in, uh, in Bangladesh and in India. We are now uh, supporting people in Costa Rica and Colombia. Uh, we, we get financial support to help them, but we always need more support because there's so many things that need to be done. I, I just talked to a, one of the people we support. They need food, and so we need to raise money for food. And so one of the things that our ministry does is that I write books, and we have some others beginning to write books, and I brought a table of books over here. I want to tell you about four of them really briefly. Uh, this is an exposition, a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of the book of Ephesians. Uh, all, the, all the verses in Ephesians are covered in this. Uh, and then what we did with this is that we took the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1 and put it into this book called True Spiritual Identity. And uh, both of these books are over there. One of the things that Christians need to understand, I need to understand, you need to understand, how does God really look at us? 
And when you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and see how God looks at you, you can get through anything you go through in a day. You really can. When you begin to see that you're called a saint, when you find it's the grace of God that saved you, it's the grace of God that kept you. When you begin to understand that God calls you a member of his family and you're a child of the king. Think of that, a child of the king. These books over there will tell you about that. This one is fresh off the press. It's called Leadership Lessons from the Pastoral Epistles. With leadership challenges that we have today, we have taken the, the biblical teaching of First and Second Timothy and Titus. We've covered every verse in there. It gives some principles about leadership for the church. And then this book is a, a book that's called The Beginning. The Lord laid this on my heart. Uh, when I was talking to some Jewish friends of mine, and uh, it's amazing when you think of our Christian faith. Now, I don't know how many born-again people there are in the world. I don't know that. But there's a claim that there are 1.3 billion followers of Jesus Christ. Are they all born again? I have no idea. But isn't it amazing there are that many people following Jesus Christ when Jesus only spent about 33 years on the earth? And only three of those in a ministry. Who in the world is he? And there's a quote in here from a Jewish guide that you, that you have to read where he doesn't believe in the Messiah yet because he doesn't believe in the resurrection. But he said what Jesus did, he says, statistically, it is impossible. It must have been a miracle. And so what we have done is taken the book of Acts, going back to the book of Acts, and we've retraced the book of Acts in this book, how it all began, and taken to the Acts chapter 28. Paul is on the way to Rome. He doesn't even arrive in Rome as far as the book of Acts is concerned. We find him just, it just goes into oblivion there. And what it's doing, it's telling us this is what's important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the heart of the Christian faith, and the coming of the Holy Spirit is the power of the Christian faith. And that's all in the book of Acts and that book, the beginning. There are books over there on prophecy. Now, what we ask you to do is simply this. The books are not for sale. Now, obviously, we have to pay for the books, all right? The books are not for sale. You just go over and put an offering in there, and part of your offering is going to go to the people in Myanmar, the people in Bangladesh, other people that we are supporting, and you go and take whatever books you want. If you have no money, if you have no money and you want to take books, you're welcome to do that. That's why we brought all those books here today. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to get the books, to read them, and make them a part of your library. I think they'll be a blessing to you. But I want you to know that you're helping people overseas when you're doing this. And by the way, if you don't like the books after you've read it, you tell me that, all right? And I will send you my deepest sympathies, okay? <laughs> Romans chapter number five, the, the missionaries we heard a few moments ago, I, th I think it's fair to ask a question. Why? Why are they doing what they're doing? Isn't there a better way to make a living? I, I thought about the man that's in Brazil, I guess. His wife is here. Is that, what the, is that right? Somebody's here. That, his mother. His mother is here. And uh, I was thinking of him, and he can't send us the video because he's out in the Amazon. I've never been in the Amazon, but if I'm in the Amazon, believe me, I'm not thinking about a video, all right? <laughs> I, I thought of, of, of John Jr. Uh, taking the church, his grandfather pastor, with a couple of families. Why would he do that? Aren't there churches with more people? And, and Brandon on the college campus, my goodness, Brandon, what a blessing you were to me. Uh, you talked about students from Romania, Belize, Guatemala. Uh, you talked about 
young people that uh, want to uh, give their lives to, to things. And you mentioned about a man giving a million dollars to missions. I want his address, by the way. <laughs> and Rick, you're, you're, you've been such a blessing in my life. And he is an encourager to so many people. That's his main ministry. But he, he helps us with the international work that we're doing. And then uh, Andrew and his wife uh, learning the language and him learning the issues of piloting over there. Why do we do that? That's what I want to speak to you about today. And I want to put it in this capsule. Why do we do it? I believe today there is a huge cry for hope. A huge cry for hope. My wife and I were in a, in a motel uh, some months ago. And uh, I was coming down the steps to have breakfast. I was going to the church to preach. And we went into this area where they had a nice breakfast. My wife and were sitting, I were sitting there eating. And, and there was a man over here, and, and he looked at me. So I looked at him. I thought he knew me. Then he looked away. And so I looked away, and I looked over. He was looking at me again. So I looked back at him, and then he'd look away. And that happened several times. And I said to my wife, I said, this man keeps looking at me that looks away. When I look at him, she says, well, quit looking at him. He's up to no good. Don't, don't look at him. She, Let's just get out of here. Well, as we were leaving, I picked up the suitcases. I'm walking off to our automobile, and, and he begins to follow me. And now I'm a little bit concerned like she was. I put the suitcases in the car. She got in the car, and he was standing on the curb. He said, can I talk to you a minute? I said, sure. So I came over. And he said to me, he said, I watched. He said, was that your wife? I said, yeah. He said, I watched you and your wife when you ate. You prayed. I said, Yes. He said, who are you talking to? I said, Jesus. He said, can Jesus help me? And you know what I think? I think there are people all over the world that need the answer to that question. And I'll tell you what. I need hope. You need hope. You may be flying high today. But look out, something's coming up. You're going to need hope. In Romans 5, the first five verses, which deal with justification and great biblical truths, I'm sure your pastor has taught you different times. There are three times in these first five verses, the apostle mentions the word hope. Follow it with me now, Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope, there it is, of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And he goes on and says, and hope, the third time now, maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. In verse 2, he says, rejoice in hope. In verse 4, he finishes talking about our experience leading to hope. And in verse 5, he says, and hope maketh not a shame. He's speaking here about the whole idea of hope. The reason these missionaries do what they do the reason this church supports 40 missionaries, I mean, couldn't you put your money to something better than that? Huh? Couldn't you maybe build another building here with all that money? We do that, and we should do that. 
because of hope. Because people simply need hope. Can Jesus help me? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, the last part of that great love chapter, he said, there abides three. There's faith, there's hope, there's love. Faith is belief, it's trusting, it's for now. Love is unconditional, it's agape love, it's for now. But in the middle of that is the word hope. And sometimes, like a middle child in a family, it's overlooked. Hope is for the future. Hope isn't for today. Hope is where what's down the road. And you see, everybody needs to have something for their future. Everybody needs to know something about what's beyond now. I get a kick out of these people that are debating about how terrible Christianity is. I think of the words of Peter when he was with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus said to him one day, well, do you disciples, do you want to leave me also? I love what Peter said. Peter always said what was on his mind, didn't he? Peter said, well, Lord, where are we going to go? Who are we going to go to? What else is there? And I tell you today, when you have Jesus, that's what you need. When you have Jesus, that's really all you need when it comes to your eternal salvation. And the reason we do what we do is because of hope. Now, let's pray for a moment, then we'll look at this passage. Father, speak to our hearts today. Lord, teach us that there's a cry for hope, a cry that is all around us. People are clamoring for something, and, and, and when we have the gospel, we have what's needed. There's an outcry today for hope. So teach us, Father. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the days of the Second World War, when the war was underway and England was doing very bad, so Winston Churchill went to a prep school called Haran, and he gave a speech. Most people don't remember much about the speech except for one section. And perhaps Churchill is best known for this. Churchill said in that speech, never give in, never give in. Never give in. Never give in to nothing small, large, or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. He said never give in. And what he was doing there is that he was saying to the nation, don't give up your hope. Don't give it up. In the book, The Road Less Traveled, written by Scott Peck, the first three words are these, life is difficult. Yeah. I don't know Scott Peck. If he came to me and said, do you have a suggestion for the beginning of my book? What do you think about the words, life is difficult? I would say, Scott, don't do that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> we all know that's true. He sold almost a million copies. He did okay. But then he said in the paragraph, life is difficult. And when you get used to the fact that life is difficult, life is not so difficult. What's he doing? He's giving to us hope. Years ago, I spoke at Tennessee Temple University with Dr. Bradley Price and Dr. Randy Ray, friends of mine, in their Bible conference. And Dr. Price said on Tuesday night, I'm going to speak on the saddest words in all the English language, the saddest words. Tuesday night, I'll speak on it. I took him out to lunch on Tuesday. I said, Bradley, what are those sad words? He said, you come back tonight. I'll tell you what they are. <laughs> so I went back and he said, the saddest words in all of the English language are the words, no hope, no hope. 
And that's true in any language, I believe. It was Woodrow Crowe who said, hope is not what you do, hope is what you have. Alexander Pope, on his essays, a man wrote, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Napoleon Bonaparte, of all people, said, leaders are dealers in hope. If you're a leader, you're a dealer in hope. The Shunammite woman said to the prophet, don't raise my hope. She said, don't tell me if this isn't going to happen. The psalmist said in Psalm 39, verse 7, my hope is in thee. And then 1 Peter 1, 3, I love what Peter wrote. He says, we have a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection gives to us a new position in Christ, victory in Christ from the dead. I used to, when I had, I, I pastored two great churches in my life, and every Christmas I would put up signs all over the place, love, joy, peace, hope. Then one day I realized the word hope is not in the Christmas story. So I said, take the word hope down, because hope had already arrived in the manger in Bethlehem. Hope had come. When you think of hope, you think of something that is yet future. But the question is, what exactly is this thing we call hope? What is it? When you think of hope, or when you read the dictionary's definitions of hope, they say hope is a wish. It's something that you wish. I hope it rains. I hope it stops raining. I hope he comes. I hope she doesn't come. <laughs> You're wishing. My granddaughter came to me one time when, one Christmas when she was about three or four, and we had a place in our house called the gathering room. That's where everybody gathers, and we put a sign over it, the gathering room. And here she came with a little dress on, and she had a little book on her arm, and she was coming over to me. I thought she wanted me to read her a Christmas story or something. She hopped up next to me, and she opened up the book. It was a Christmas catalog. So I knew it was about to come. She said, Grandpa, I want this, and I want this. She turned the page, I want this, and I want this, and I want that. And I began to ignore her, though she put it up on my lap. And she kept doing the same thing. I want this, I want this. And I began to add this up in my mind. We're talking hundreds of dollars. Then we're up in the thousands of dollars. I said, honey, how are we going to pay for all this? And she said, Grandpa, you're just going to have to work more. <laughs> now, trust me, she was wishing. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words that are rendered hope. The first word means wait, but listen, wait with patience. The second word means to look eagerly. Wait with patience, but to look eagerly at what's ahead. And there are Hebrew scholars that tell us in the Psalms there are at least 12 words that are used that speak about hope. They are rendered confidence. God is our confidence. God is our hope. God is our shelter. God is our hope. God is our rock. God is our hope. And in the New Testament, the word there means a lively expectation, a confidence of something that is happening again. It is the idea of meeting with something to anticipate it with pleasure. Have you ever noticed this? Many things that we look forward to with pleasure to do, after we've done them, we say, it wasn't really that pleasurable. You know, you go somewhere and say, man, I can't wait to see it. And you come away and say, well, I've been better places than that. 
You go see some famous building and say, well, the building in our town is better than that. But this word hope is saying what you're looking forward to, what is ahead for you, what is down the road for you when you arrive, trust me, God is saying, you will be fully satisfied. You will be satisfied with what you find. I want us to look at this passage today in Romans 5. And I want you to see with me five elements that are a cry for hope. And that's why these missionaries do what they do. And the first and perhaps the most important element on hope is this. Hope is really waiting on God. Look at verse 1 and verse 2 again of Romans 5. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now notice he is speaking there about we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, of what shall yet be. Turn to Romans chapter 8, if you would, and look at verse 23. Turn over to Romans 8 and look at verse 23. He says, and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, now notice, waiting, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. One day, you and I will have a brand new body. Amen. And all the people my age said, Amen. and some of you are not voting on that, are you? <laughs> Verse 24, now watch this carefully. For we are saved by hope. You say, well, I thought we were saved by grace. Well, we are. Amen. If you're not saved by grace, you're not saved. Right. We are saved by grace through faith. We are. If you're not saved by grace through faith, you're not saved. But the saved by hope means this. Saved by grace through faith is what God does now, but there's something better yet to come. And he just told you in verse 23 what that was. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. As soon as you see it, it is no longer hope. If Jesus walked in that door right up there. Now, let me say this clearly. I have never seen Jesus Christ. I don't really know what he looks like. I really don't. I've seen pictures. Some pictures I think are great. Some pictures I think are not so great. I, I've never seen a photograph of Jesus Christ. But somehow, if he walked through that door right now, I think all of you who are in Jesus somehow will recognize there he is. He's the one. That is because we sense it with this hope that God gives to us. So he says we are saved by hope. The hope that is seen is now hope. If he walks in, it's no longer hope. Now look at the rest of the verse. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? If you have it, why would you hope for it? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then with patience we wait for it. And friends, that is exactly what this idea of hope initially is. It is waiting on God. Now, it's not waiting passively. It's not sitting down in a chair and saying, I'm just going to relax. But it is actively waiting. The word means to actively be waiting, understanding what God has given to us. It is a hope that we know is coming. Now think of the people in the Bible. God said to Noah one day, build an ark. He has no idea what rain is. Build an ark. By faith he does it, but he does it for years 
and he's ridiculed for doing it. It took years to have it happen, but he faithfully did it in hope. Joseph was told in a dream, you're going to be the leader over all these people. You'll be prime minister of Egypt one day. You're going to be the leader. Unfortunately, he tells his siblings, and they don't like it. It leads him into all kinds of trouble and heartache, and yet he knows. Even when he's in jail one day, God said, you're going to be the prime minister. Hope. Moses was 40 years attending sheep in a wilderness, knowing that somebody had to lead the people out toward the promised land. David was running from Saul when he knew he was to be king, thinking he was going to be killed. The prophets wrote, and they waited, and they wrote, and they waited, and they never saw the Messiah, but they kept writing about it. Simeon and Adam began to write about the, or wait for the consolation of Israel when they saw Jesus in their arms. The paralyzed man at the pool waited till somebody could put him in, he said. Mary and Martha said to Jesus, why did you wait? Our brother is now dead. Why did you wait? Very shortly, they would see a resurrection. And they saw why they were waiting. You see, when we talk about hope, we need to be serving the Lord. We need to be busy about the Father's business. We need to be having our children come up here and tell them the stories of the Bible and the teachings of Scripture so that one day they understand what they should be looking forward to as well. Now, my friend, Jesus could come today. Would you be glad if he came today? If he came today, I'm not going to be up here. A lot of these people are going to be gone. If you're sitting here, I would say maybe before he comes, if he came today, you better get things right right now by giving your life to Jesus. But all of this, all of this is yet in hope. The Bible puts it this way. The Bible says, he gives power to the faint and to have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We won't turn there today, but if you were to look in the middle of the little book of Lamentations, where the Bible speaks about the terrible situation with the city of Jerusalem, there in the middle it says, but they have hope, and they would hope and wait and the faithfulness of God are all put hand in hand together. So hope, first of all, is waiting on God. My wife and I, for many years, without, were without children. We didn't think we were going to have children. And uh, so we made plans to adopt children. And uh, we made the plans, and lo and behold, uh, there were uh, twins that were born, red-headed twins. I had dark black hair back then. My wife had dark black hair back then. And we were going to adopt these redheaded twins. And I remember we went, uh, we, we went and we painted a room in our house. It all fixed up. We told people that were important to us. We didn't tell a lot of people. But we told people we're going to adopt these twins. And we went to pick up the twins. And the whole thing fell through. And I was so disappointed. I was upset. I was angry. I was angry about what happened. I was angry with me. I was angry with my wife. I was angry with them, angry with God. 
If I'd have known you back then, I'd been angry with you. I just was angry. I was not happy at all about this. And my wife said, you know, we've been praying for children. Why don't we get some people that we know really pray? And this is before all the social media things. And see if they would pray that we could have a child. So we had some in the church, and we had some outside the church, and people in the church would ask once in a while, and they would pray with us. I get a letter in the mail. We wanted to have our own family. And it wasn't long after that, my wife became pregnant, and we had our first child born. Amen. And it wasn't long after that, we had our second child born. Then we had our third child born. Then we had our fourth child born. I took out some paper and a pen. I wrote to all of them and said, quit praying. We, we got four. <laughs> That's enough. We don't need any more. And we ended at four. You know, I love telling you that right now. But I didn't like to talk about it back then. Yeah. You see, all of us, not just these people we minister to overseas, not these people that we minister to just on the college campuses, all of us go through experiences where we really need Confident expectation. Amen. We need hope. And you see, it begins with waiting on God. The second thing is in verse 3 and 4 of Romans 5. I want to mention to you briefly, it's this idea that hope involves our service to God or working. And notice, notice the sequence that is here. Notice the sequence and the segue. In verse 3, it says, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Now, I've never met anybody who glories in tribulations. But yet, this is how we learn, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience. And that word experience is a key word in this passage. It means character. This is what builds your character. And this character, he says, then builds this thing called hope. Now, I, I want you to go back just for a moment to the book of Psalms for a moment. Go back to the book of Psalms in chapter number 90. Go back to Psalms, chapter number 90. And I want you to look with me at verse 16 and verse 17. How do we develop this thing called hope? But well, we wait with activity, but also we serve, we, we, we work, we do things. At the end of this psalm, which is the psalm that speaks about the dwelling place of God, where God dwells in your life or where God dwells in my life, in verse 16 it says, let thy work appear unto thy servants. Notice the word work. Let thy work appear unto thy servants. And thy glory unto their children. In other words, our work, our service is generational. It goes from one generation to another. I, I spoke two weeks ago at a conference for a week. It's, a, it's an amazing place. It's down below Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And uh, they have these small white cabins with no facilities in them, no air conditioning in it. And it's hot. And the speaker, and I thank God I was one of the speakers, we have air conditioning and facilities in our rooms. I told the crowd, I said, if you want to get air conditioning next week, you have to, or next year, you have to be a speaker here. That's how you get the air conditioning. But I, I watched these people come over a thousand of them. And people would say, a man would say, I'm 85 years old, and that, that lady over there carrying that baby, that's my granddaughter, and that's my great-granddaughter. It was generational there. And everybody was there working and serving. I thought, this is really unusual. This is probably the way it's supposed to be, you know. If you look here at verse 16, he says, let thy work appear unto the servants, 
And then in verse 19, and let the beauty, that means the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and established. Notice, here it is again, the word, the work of our hands upon us. Yes, the work of our hands established thou it. What he's saying there is that we need to be serving, we need to be working. So when things aren't going well and aren't going right and, and we aren't having people come to Christ and, and we we're on the college campus and they're running us off the campus and, and the airplane doesn't work over there and, and Papua New Guinea isn't going well and all of that, we keep on working. Amen. Why? Because there's hope. There's something yet to happen. There's something yet down the road. Do you get discouraged? Of course you get discouraged. Do you get defeated? Of course you get defeated. Do you have problems? Yes. Death comes. Disasters come. Depression comes. Heartaches come. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And the Bible is telling us here of the importance of understanding our service to him. Notice the third thought is in verse number four of this chapter. Hope involves walking with God. And this could be a message all in itself. Look at verse four. He says this, that patience builds character or experience, and this experience builds hope. The idea here, and if you look at verse number five, he says, hope maketh not ashamed. What, what that is saying is hope will not disappoint you. This hope will not disappoint you. You see, there's trouble we have. And I want to tell you today, folks, the devil doesn't want you to progress in your faith. The devil simply does not like you. Hebrews 3.18 speaks about hope this way. It says hope is the, the anchor for your soul. It's the, it's the heart of who you are. And so what he is telling us here is this. He's saying that not only should we be working, but we should be walking with God. Throughout the Pauline epistles, you'll find that word walk over and over again. It talks about our Christian life, our Christian character. Ephesians 4.1, Colossians 1.14, 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, walk worthy of your God. 1 John 1.7 says, walk in the light. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says, we are to walk to please God. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, walk by faith. Romans 6.4 says, to, we are to walk in newness of life. And so the idea here is that we are to have this walk. And what happens is as you walk with the Lord, as you get older, you begin to find that what you believe begins to rub off on the next generation. I was preaching in Glen Falls, New York, some years ago, and I'll never forget this. I was preaching on a Sunday through a Wednesday, and Tuesday they had a supper at the church. And there was an elderly man going very slowly up the steps. So I went over to help him. I was going up the steps with him, and I thought, we'll have a conversation. So I said, is your wife here? He said, no, my wife is in heaven. And I said, I said, uh, I'm sorry. And he said, what are you sorry about? She's in heaven. <laughs> we all halfway up the steps, and I said, do you have any children? And he said, all my children are in heaven. And it's so natural without even thinking. I said, I'm sorry. He stopped and he kind of gave me a lecture. He pointed his finger at me. He said, what are you sorry about? They're all in heaven. Did you ever have a conversation going nowhere? This was one of them, right down, under the, right down the hill. We got to the top. I said, would you have relatives anywhere? He said, yeah. And you know what he said? They're all in heaven. Amen. And I did not say, I'm sorry. I asked the pastor about him. He said, you know, he is one of the finest Christians I've ever met. 
He's been through a lot of stuff, through a lot of trouble. He said, do you know he goes to the youth group every once in a while? Because he wants everybody to know whose side he's on around here. And I thought to myself, I wish I had gotten his name. Because if I want to say there's a man that walks with God, that's him. Let me ask you today, how's your walk with God? How do the children look at you? How do the grandchildren look at you? They may not be living for God, but how do they look at you? How is your walk with God going? Because you see, the walk with God is what can permeate to the next generation the hope they need to have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a walk with God. It's also, number four, it's also a worshiping of God. I mentioned it briefly to you. It's in verse number five. He says in verse five, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is, is poured out or spread out because of the shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Here he says the hope involves the worship of God. Now, we're talking about missions today. We're talking about evangelism today. But listen carefully. There will be a day when there will be no more evangelism. There will be a day there will be no more missions. But there shall never be a day when the believer will cease worshiping God. That is for all of eternity. And what he is saying to us here is this. He is saying, I want you to understand that this hope is, is what worship of God does for us. When you think of praise, praising God means I'm saying, I love you, Lord. I, I appreciate you. I adore you, Lord. But worship is bringing the praise into your heart. Praise is like setting the table. Worship is eating the meal. Worship is saying, I look to you and understand that I praise you, but it doesn't end with that. It changes me. Remember the woman at the well? She unfortunately got into the wrong conversation with Jesus. Jesus said, go call your husband. She said, I don't have any. He said, I know you had five. Now you're living with a man that's not yours. She thinks, what is he, how does he know this? Where's this man from? How far has the gossip gone about me? And, and they have this brief conversation. She changes the subject. She says, you worship in Jerusalem. We worship over here in Gerizim. Where's the right place to worship? <laughs> and then Jesus said those incredible words. They that worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. I have never understood that very well. Why would the Father want my worship? But he does. He's asked for it. And that woman, when she realized what was going on, went back and told the men, she was the one that led the evangelistic group in Samaria. Yeah. Later, when Philip was preaching there and people were coming to Christ, it all began with this woman. And if I would have been one of Jesus' disciples, and he would have said to me, who should I get in Samaria to lead a charge for discipleship and winning people? I never would have said her. Never would have thought of her. But that's because of what God gives to us in his grace and this thing that is called hope. The fifth thing I want you to see is go with back with me to Romans 4 for just a moment. I want you to look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, which really is the prelude of hope to Romans 5. Number five, hope includes 
This cry of hope includes a possession. And the illustration is given here of Abraham. And Abraham is the man of God that God is going to greatly use to be the father of a nation. In fact, many nations. In verse 18, it says this, who against hope, notice, against hope, believed in hope. Abraham, head out for a land. God, where is it? Just head out. Well, what's the map? What's the GPS? You don't have one. Just head out. When you look at these precious missionaries we saw today, they say, support us. It's frightening to go away that far away and wonder, is money going to come? Will we be penniless? What well, says it here, who against hope believed in hope, against all situations that would make sense, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So, so the Bible says that he stepped out and he went by faith. And that's exactly what God expects from us because this hope is a possession. I love that verse of the song, Amazing Grace, that says, and we don't sing this song, this verse of it. The Lord has promised good to me his word, my hope secures. What is this hope? Who is this hope? Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus Christ, our hope. Hebrews 7.19, there is a better hope draw nigh to God. I preach often at the Keswick Conference in Whiting, New Jersey, and there's a group there called the Colony of Mercy. These are addicts that come and get transformed by the power of the gospel. And there's a place where you can do a walk around the campus there, and, and they put these little placards up on the, on the trees. And one of those men that was there put this placard up one day. It said, from Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years the locusts have taken away. And my friend, that's such a powerful truth. There's somebody here today, and you're really in despair. You haven't told anybody, but you're in despair. you got some stuff going on in your life. You say, ah, man, it's bad. Don't forget, God can restore to you, but it comes through him. It comes through hope. I was boarding a plane in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I was sitting next to the window. It was a beautiful morning out, about 7 o'clock in the morning. And I was flying to Baltimore to speak at the Grace Bible Baptist Church at a conference. And the people were getting on the plane. You always wonder who's going to sit next to you on an airplane. I looked up, and here was a couple, a couple husband and wife coming, and they had all kinds of stuff. And I thought, how in the world did they get in the airplane with all that stuff? And, and they, were there, like, they, were, they were dropping it. And I, my first thought was, I sure hope they don't sit next to me because there's two empty seats right here. Well, by the time they got there, I could tell that was their seats. And uh, I, I, I thought, should I help them? But I don't know what I'm going to do because there's just stuff everywhere. And uh, the man looked at me kind of frantically. And he said to me, he said, are you a minister? I thought, why did he ask me that? I had no Bible in my hand. I was dressed in relaxing clothes. I had no books. I had nothing. Are you a minister? I answered quickly, but several thoughts went through my mind. Does he like ministers? Does he not like ministers? Did I miss something in the news last night? So I said, yes. He said, good. I felt relieved. 
his wife sat down and he sat down and and again there was just stuff everywhere and they were other people were kind of upset with him because of all this stuff and as the plane was taken off i i leaned over and i said why did you ask me if i was a minister and this is what he told me he said i i i got up this morning and i prayed he said yesterday my sister fell down the steps went down to the basement and broke her neck and died. And I'm going to sing at the funeral. And he said, I get up this morning and I said to God, I want to sit next to a minister. And I thought, are there other ministers on the plane? Am I the only one? But then I knew what this flight was going to be about. So we, I don't know, probably two hour flight. We talked all the way. And I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus. His wife did not get saved then. She got saved later at our church. I led him to Jesus. There at the airport, we were hugging each other. And you know, now, we're, now we're friends. This is like back before COVID. And, and uh, he went his way and I went my way. I went back to my church. And I told my church briefly what I just told you. And I told the church the man's name and his wife's name. I said, pray for them. Now, after the service is over, I was standing out in the church lobby. And I had met in my church who were FBI, CIA agents. And they're standing out there surrounding me, kind of wondering now what they want. And the one man said to me, do you know who that man is that you led to Christ? I said, yes, I gave his name. They said, no, you don't understand. That's our boss. And they said, we have been praying for him for a long time. Now, I thought of that. Here's an unsaved man praying to God he doesn't know to sit next to a minister on the airplane who happens to be the minister of a group of men who are praying for him. Their problem with him, he always gave them a hard time. They were praying for him. And I get to sit next to him and lead him to the Lord. My friend, you only find something like that to the message of hope. Amen. And so I want to challenge you as a church. I want to challenge you today as a, as a body of believers. I want to challenge you today at the truth of what hope really means. It means that there is something out there that is yet to happen, and we faithfully serve till we get there. Amen. I was thinking of Papua New Guinea, Grace Fabian, a graduate of the college where I, I was president of for a while, went to Papua New Guinea to translate scripture. Her husband was translating 1 Corinthians 13. And the man helping him do it, a man from over there, took an axe and took his life. They came back home, and Grace was in the funeral service with her family, and the pastor took a pair of shoes and put them on the platform and said, somebody needs to get in these shoes and go back to Papua New Guinea and finish the translation of the scripture those people so desperately need. Grace Fabian's son came down and got in those shoes. And they went back. And to the glory of God, the translation is accomplished. 
If you ever want to read it, it's in a book called Awakening Grace. And it's the story of hope. My challenge to you as a church today, and Pastor, you come and lead the invitation as you wish. We need hope. All of us need hope.